Welcome to The Heart Zone, featuring George Cannon. This broadcast is a time of teaching and encouragement from Kerwinsville Christian Church. For more information, we invite you to visit us on the web at www.kerwinsvillechristian.org. And now for a message from The Heart Zone. Here's George Cannon. Folks, we are doing a series through Second Peter. We've entitled our series, Faith in a Hostile World. Yeah, you're right, George. It's a hostile world. Man, look at what's going on. I'm not talking about that. The world is as it is. It always has been. But your faith is always continually under attack. Yeah, the culture. and the, I'm not talking about that. Your faith is continually under attack, and this letter specifically talks about three areas of attack. And you might be shocked by them. Chapter 1 is going to talk about the number one threat to your faith is your lack of understanding of your salvation and what God has done for you. Number two area of attack is what we see in chapter 2, which is the influence of false teachers. Now you say, well, I'm not influenced by guys who teach wrong things. Actually, it's not what they teach, it's how they live their lives. You might be surprised that sometimes the false teachers say the right things, but they influence you with how they live their lives, and you might be surprised by that. We see that in chapter 2. Then you get to chapter 3, and we see the next threat, and that is where you begin to no longer understand the hope that you have in Christ's return. And that's diminished, and that attacks your faith too, because if you no longer have a hope to get you through the day, that threatens your faith. So we've been looking at that first threat that's addressed here in chapter 1, and it's about this whole issue of you understanding your faith, you understanding salvation and what Christ has done for you. And what we're going to see is, Today especially, that for a lot of us, we've lost our focus. We've lost our focus spiritually because our focus is somewhere else. Well, how do we know that, George? How do I know if I've lost my focus? Because the fact of the matter is, George, I've been doing the same thing for years. I come to church, I give, I serve. I don't think I've lost my focus. Yeah, you can do all the right things and lose your focus. How do you know that? Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 to 7. Jesus says to the church at Ephesus, you're doing all the right things. I think it's wonderful. You're doing all the right things, but I got one problem. One problem. You've lost your what? First love. You're doing all the right things, but you've lost your love for me. So you can lose your focus. Well, how can I tell? Well, that's the first thing we're going to talk about before we look at the passage. We're going to talk about, first of all, the whole issue of spiritual measurement. How do I measure where I am at spiritually? All right? So I want you to... And, and here's the thing. You can only do it by yourself. Don't ask somebody else how you're doing spiritually. Because you and I are good at cover. But you can tell where you're at. All right? So I'm going to give you a couple things to think about here. Here's the first one. First of all, your spiritual temperament can be measured by your actions and attitudes. If you really want to know where you're at spiritually, if you really want to know if you're walking with the Lord, if you really want to know that you're doing okay, then just take a look at how you 
are with your actions and your attitudes. And I would say to you, especially with other people. Especially with other people. You know, for years, you know, I, I grew up not knowing the Lord. I came to Christ as a 19-year-old while I was attending the university down in South Carolina. Started going to a little bitty independent Baptist church in West Columbia, South Carolina. And you, and you meet people and you think, oh, they're spiritual people. I mean, they know the Bible answers and they can do this and they can say, I mean, they're, they pray. But you know what? Then you notice that they can rip people's heads off too. Verbally dress people down. But man, they can pray. And you think, wow, that's spiritual. No, no, that's carnal. And even though you know the right answers and you can pray the right way, it doesn't mean you are right and where you should be. How can you say that, George? Well, because Galatians chapter 5 tells you how to measure your life. Let's look at it together. Here's verse 19. Look at what it says. Now, the works of the flesh are evident, which are, okay, so it's going to give us a list of things here that are very evident when it's just the works of your flesh. Adultery, fornication, uncleanness, lewdness, idolatry, sorcery. All right, here we go. Hatred, contentions, jealousies, outbursts of wrath, selfish ambitions, dissensions, heresies, envies, murders, drunkenness, revelries, and the like. That, that phrase, and the like, is basically Paul saying, if I've missed anything, I'm throwing it in there with that phrase. Of which I tell you beforehand, Paul says, just as I've also told you in time past, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such, there is no law. Now, here's my question, folks. We just read how to measure your life spiritually. Are you exhibiting the works of the flesh? Or are you exhibiting the fruits of the Spirit? Now, only you can answer that question. How are you doing? I'm going to be honest with you. When I look at that list, I'm thinking, oh my goodness, I'm not doing too good. I'm not doing too good. Now, as I go through that list of the works of the flesh, some of them I can immediately say, ah, I'm not worried about that. I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. But when it gets down to envies, jealousy, selfish ambition, hatred, that's a little too close to home, isn't it? See, this is my point. Your spiritual temperament can be measured by your actions and your attitude. Do you really want to know where you're at spiritually? It's not showing up at the church, although that's, that's good. You need to show up at the church because the church is more than just a worship service. It's not how much you give in the offering. It's not how much you volunteer. It's not even how much you read your Bible, although that's good. But it's how you are in your actions and your attitudes, and you can really tell where someone is at by the way they treat other people. And when you look at that standard, I'll be honest with you, as I go back through my mind and I think about it as a young Christian being in that little bitty independent Baptist church, I'll be honest with you, there were a lot of times that some of the people that I thought were really with it spiritually were not. 
And the biggest evidence was how they treated other people. Because they weren't exhibiting what? The fruits of the Spirit. They were exhibiting what? The works of the flesh. Here's the second thing I want you to see about this issue of spiritual measurement. If your life reflects the works of the flesh, you're not doing well spiritually. If, if your life reflects the works of the flesh, you're not doing well spiritually. I don't care how wonderful your time was in prayer this morning. I don't care what God showed you in the word. I don't care how much you volunteer. If your life is reflecting these works of the flesh, I'm telling you, you're not doing well spiritually. Because if God's spirit is working in your life, the fruit of that work comes from the Holy Spirit. It's going to be exhibited in, let's, let's look at it again. Look at what it says there. In what? Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. Wow. That's what it's saying there. Those things are going to be growing in your life. Now, are you going to be perfect? No. No, no, nobody's perfect. Are you saying that I'm not going to exhibit works of the flesh? No, you're, you're human. You're going to exhibit works of the flesh. But you're going to see increasing in your life what? Those fruits of the Spirit. So you say, okay, George, well, what do I do about it then? Well, that's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about a renewed focus. How do you get your focus back where it needs to be? And I'm going to be talking to myself as well as you. How do we get back to where we need to be spiritually? I'm just going to be honest, because we're not, if we're honest with ourselves, we're not where we should be, right? I mean, if we're honest, we're not where we should be. And, and let's be honest, the world knows that. <laughs> I mean, the world knows that. What do you mean? What's the number one complaint you hear from people outside of the church about people in church? The church is filled with nothing but what? Hypocrites, right. That's not fair of them to say that. Really? I think it's pretty accurate, don't you? Why don't we admit that? Because we're not where we should be. We're not where we should be. Because if we were where we should be, we would be exhibiting what, folks? The fruits of the Spirit. So how do we get there? Well, let's look at this passage together. We're going to look at verses 5 through 9. Building on what we have looked at before. He's building on what God has done for you through salvation. So I want you to see, he's continuing on with his thought. Look at what he says, verse 5. But also for this very reason. So he's talking about what God has done through salvation for you. Giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-control, and to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted, even to blindness, and has forgotten that he has been cleansed from his old sins. 
All right, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to take this passage, we're going to divide it into two sections. We're going to see, first of all, that you and I need to respond. And then we're going to see the outcome of that response. So you and I need to respond. Respond to what? Well, respond to the truths that he just told you in verses 2 through 4. Remember those truths? That God wants what to be multiplied in your life, folks? Grace and peace. He wants grace and peace to be multiplied in your life. How do I get that? Through what? That relationship with Jesus. And what has he done for me? He's told you that in verse 3. He's given you the Holy Spirit who has empowered you with everything you need for life and godliness. The Spirit of God has given you everything. And he has given you promises of what you are to be. God has done everything you need to do. So now because of that, you've got to do something. Because of that, there's something required of you. See, this is the problem. The problem is, for most of us, we only heard about salvation. If you pray and ask Jesus to come into your life, he forgives you and you've got heaven. Nobody came along and truly told you that, yes, you have heaven, yes, you have forgiveness, but in the meantime, you have a life that's supposed to be lived for who? The Lord. What, does he want me to be a missionary to someone? No, 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 I'm not saying that. That's not what I'm saying. He wants you to live your life for him. How do you live your life for him? He tells you right here in verses 5 through 7. He tells you what you're supposed to do. But I'm going to be honest with you. Here I am, I'm a believer now. 34 years. You don't hear people telling you what you're supposed to live like, how you're supposed to live the Lord. You're told, oh, you got to do evangelism, you got to show up, you got to do... No, 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 no. That's, he, does he say any of that here? No. He's saying, because of these things that I just told you about the grace and peace that's multiplied in your life and God giving you everything you need for life, here's what you need to do. Let's talk about those things, okay? Let's talk about them together. Here it is. First one. Salvation and empowerment cause you to act. First thing you got to recognize. Salvation. Jesus reaching down and touching your life as you put your faith and trust in him. His empowerment, the Holy Spirit, the moment you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, enters into your life and he empowers you for this life. What is it? He gives you everything you need for life. And he knows what your life is going to be because he's already set it out before you. Remember we talked about that from Ephesians chapter 2 verse 10. You're his masterpiece. And he's prepared works for you before even time began. He he gave something for you to do. And he's given you everything you need to do to do it. Now because of that, because of the salvation that I have, and because of the empowerment of the Spirit, that calls me to do something. That calls me to respond. It caused me to move beyond just simply saying, oh, I'm okay, I can do whatever I want to do. No, you can't do whatever you want to do. God saved you for a reason, a purpose. And he wants to do something in your life. He needs you to do something. So that's the first thing he wants you to see here. Salvation and its empowering calls you to act. Here it is. Verses 5 through 7, you must make every effort to build upon your faith. You must make every effort. Look at what it says there. Verse 5, giving all diligence. That's what Peter is saying here. Giving all diligence. That is, you are making it a priority. You are going to do what it takes to get it done. You ever been like that? Where you've got something you know you want to do, so you will do whatever it takes. You will wipe out your calendar. 
You'll make sure everything's done early. You'll even get out of bed earlier to get to where you need to get to because you know you've got to do something that day and you're excited about what you've got to do, so you're giving all diligence to make it happen. He's asking for the same thing here. Because of the empowerment, because of the salvation you have, he wants you now to give all of your diligence to add to your faith. Now, let me explain to you about faith. Because sometimes we have a misunderstanding of what faith is. Because in our Christian culture today, we talk about faith as simply just believe. Oh, I believe. I believe. But it doesn't do anything. You know what? I go to the doctor's office. I look at the, on the wall and I can see he's got the degrees there and I can believe he's a doctor. If I do what he says, I've got faith. Right? I trust him. See, we can believe that there's a God, but do you have faith to trust him to do what he's telling you to do? Now, he's saying that you've got to add to that faith. You've got to add to your trust in him several different things. He's saying, add virtue. To virtue, add knowledge. Now, the word knowledge there is not a personal relationship. That's truth. The knowledge is a little bit different than what he's talked about earlier in the other verses. He's talking about that you need to add understanding to your faith. That only comes from truth. How do you do that? Read your Bible. Study your Bible. Knowledge. To knowledge, self-control. Whoa. I think we understand that, right? You do it all the time. You go to Walmart, walk through the line there. Have you noticed Walmart does not want you to have self-control? Have you noticed that? How do you know that? Why else would they put all those candy bars there right at the checkout? Right? Isn't that true? They want you to buy them. Self-control. Add to... What? Knowledge, self-control. What else is self-control? Perseverance. Boy, we need that, don't we? Perseverance. Holding up under what life throws at you. Right? Holding up under what life throws at you. Perseverance. And to perseverance, what? Godliness, to godliness, brotherly kindness. That's what? How we are towards each other. And then ultimately what? Love. Loving. Loving God and loving each other. You know what's interesting? If you look at this list and you compare them to the fruits of the Spirit, you're actually going to see that there's some overlap there. There's some overlap. It's basically telling me, folks, that the response that I need to have because of salvation and stuff, I need to be pursuing what? God's fruit in my life. God changing my character. Do you know what I'm saying? God changing me. Which brings me now to my third point. Here's my third point recognize that you're not alone in the effort. What? Okay, listen to me. This is the secret. Okay, you guys want to hear a secret? Okay, here's the secret. First of all, we know the truth. All right, we understand what God has done for us. We know that he has saved us. We know that he has given us through the Holy Spirit everything we need for life and godliness, right? We already know that. The Spirit has equipped us to do this, right? We already know that, okay? And then he says, okay, that's what we're talking about today. Because of what he's done through salvation and the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, I want you to add to your faith these things. Now, if you think about it, if you look at it, you'll see there's some overlap there with the fruits of the Spirit. That's what the Spirit's supposed to be producing in your life. That's what he's equipped me to do. What does that tell me? 
It's not up to you to do this on your own. You have to go to him and say, Lord, you want me to add virtue to my faith. You want me to add knowledge. You want me to add perseverance. And the wonderful thing is, I'm not supposed to just figure this out on my own how to do that. You've given me somebody to help me do that. Who's that somebody, folks? The Holy Spirit of God. Isn't that awesome? Because number one, he's the one who's equipped you with everything you need to what? Live life in godliness. Because here's the thing. Remember I told you we take that spiritual measurement of our life? And maybe you're looking at your life and you're saying, man, I see a lot of works of flesh there. I'm not doing too good. I'm not doing too good. How do I get where I need to get to? Because I don't know what to do. I can tell you right now, there's somebody who knows what you need to do. That's the Lord. And I already tell you right now, he lives right in your heart. Why? Because when you came to Christ, the Holy Spirit entered into your life, right? And so why is he there? He's there to help you. To do what? Produce these fruits in your life. It's a product of his work in your life. So you just need to be willing to let him do it. You just need to be willing to pursue that in your life. That's what he's talking about here. Now the wonderful thing, listen to me, the wonderful thing is, here's the thing, I love the Bible for this reason. God just doesn't tell you to do something, he will tell you why to do it. Have you noticed that? You know, when you're a little kid and your mama and daddy told you to do something, you did it, right? When you were little. Then you became a teenager. And a teenager will say, why? Have you noticed that? When I was a parent, I hated hearing, why do I need to do that? You know, and that's human nature, right? Because we're, we're no longer at the point of being told what to do. We want to know why we need to do it. Like, remember, you go to school, and school's got a rule, and you're like, well, that's a stupid rule. And they say, why do we have that rule? Nobody tells you why. Just do it. Well, we don't operate that way, right? It's the same thing in life. God will tell you why you need to do something. He just doesn't tell you to do it. He tells you why. What we see here in verses 8 and 9, he tells you why. Let's look at those verses again. Here it is. Look with me. Verse 8 and 9. For if these things are yours and abound in you, you will neither be barren nor unfruitful in your knowledge of your Lord Jesus Christ. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he has been cleansed from his old sins. Three things I want you to see here. Here's the outcome. Here's why. Here's the first one. Your efforts will result in a fruitful relationship with Jesus Christ. I think we understand relationships here, right? I think everybody understands, like for instance, for instance, when you get married, does everybody understand marriage is work? It's work, isn't it? Too often times we think, oh, I'm married now, I can just relax. No, you can't. The moment you relax, it's going downhill. The moment you take things for granted, it's going downhill. And a lot of us take things for granted. You have to work at your marriage. I have to work at my marriage. You have to work at your marriage. And if you quit working at it, the relationship's going nowhere, right? You don't understand. That's human relationship. That's not just marriage relationships. That's all relationships. If you don't spend time with a person, if you don't interact with a person, if you don't do what that person wants, that relationship's going nowhere. That's the same thing here. He's saying, if you do these things, your relationship is going to be neither barren nor unfruitful. It's going to be productive. 
Your efforts will result in a fruitful relationship with Christ. I'm going to tell you right now, for some of us here, that may be the answer in and of itself. Because you're looking at yourself, you're measuring your life, and you're saying, man, I just don't feel like I'm hearing from the Lord. I just don't feel like I'm seeing him answering my prayers. I don't sense his presence in my life. Could it be that the reason why is because you're not pursuing the right things in your life? You're not building on that relationship with him, but rather you're just doing whatever you want to do and your life is expressing what? Works of the flesh. Here's what he's saying. Do what I'm calling you to do. Because here's the outcome if you don't do it. Because you might be hearing you're saying, well, you know, great, wonderful, George. I'm saved. I'm okay. I can do whatever I want to do. I'm forgiven. Ah, it just seems like too much effort. Well, Peter's got a word for you. And I've divided it up into two points. Look at what he says there, verse 9. For he who lacks these things, do you understand what that's saying? It's saying he who doesn't have these things in his life, he who's not doing these things, he who lacks these things is, here's the big word, is short-sighted even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Two things I want you to see here. Here's the first one. Spiritual blindness marks the one whose focus is somewhere else. If your focus isn't on what he wants you to do, which, by the way, folks, what he wants you to do is do these things adding to your faith. He's saying these things in verses 5 through 7. If your focus is not doing what he says here in his word, he is saying you are spiritually blind. That's not good. You're spiritually short-sighted. If your focus is not where it should be, you're spiritually blind. I'm going to tell you right now, folks, I have suffered from spiritual blindness as a believer because my focus wasn't where it should be. I have a feeling that a lot of you have suffered from it too. I'm hoping that you're not suffering from it now. Here's the second thing he says. A lack of focus is the result of not understanding your salvation. Look what he says there. Even to blindness and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sin. What is that? That's forgetting the fact that you got saved. You're forgetting what God did for you through salvation. Where does that come from? A lack of focus. Remember, that's what I've told you. That's the greatest threat to our spiritual lives. Didn't I tell you that's the greatest threat to your spiritual lives? The greatest threat to your spiritual lives is not what's going on in the culture, not what's happening politically, not any of that. That's not the greatest threat. The greatest threat is you losing your focus about why you're here and about what God wants to do in your life and what you're supposed to do. That's the greatest threat. The greatest threat to you spiritually isn't the church you go to or not go to. The greatest threat to you is yourself losing your focus on the Lord. Do you understand me? Well, it's, it's because of them. It's because, no, 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 no. Give, give me a break. It's not because of anybody else. It's because of you. You lost your focus. And if you don't see the importance of understanding what God did for you and what he wants from you because of what he's done for you, you're spiritually blind and you've lost your focus because you don't no longer understand salvation. And I'm going to be honest with you, folks. I have been there. It's not a good place. And we've got to do what we can to get out of it, right? Because we want to see him working in our lives, right? 
We want to have that intimate, productive relationship with Christ again, right? Because what we're seeing in our lives is what I told you how we measure our lives, the works of the flesh. What I want out of life. What we want to see is what God wants to produce in our life. What? The fruits of the Spirit. That's what we should be pursuing. Thank you for being with us this morning. And we trust that today's message has been both challenging and an encouragement to your heart. At Kerwinsville Christian Church, a warm welcome is always extended to you. We're located at 700 State Street, Kerwinsville, Pennsylvania. For more information about our ministry, please visit us on the web at www.kerwinsvillechristian.org. Now, on behalf of George Cannon and the entire church family, we hope that you will look to the Heavenly Father in all that you face this coming week.